Have you ever thought about what you might do when you first get to heaven if uh, you've uh, got that reservation already settled and you know you're going to go there? Have you ever thought what you're going to do first when you get there? Or, or maybe in another way, have you ever thought about what you might say first when you somehow get in the presence of God uh, or some of the ones you've been reading about and just so appreciate as God has get, used them to share truth from his word? What's the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth? It's quite possible you might say just thank you, right? You might just say thank you, thanks. And the Bible tells us that, that ought to be part of who we are and everything. Give thanks for, in case you're not sure why you ought to do it, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we might get up to heaven and, and uh, we might say in the presence of God, thank you so much. And, and then if you do that, you might be wondering, well, what is going to be his response? How, how will he re- respond to us when we give him thanks? Now, I was thinking about that, and it's quite possible he might do what is normal in our culture to do. He might say, well, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> but then he might go a little bit further, and you, you might have um, visited this little place uh, called Chick-fil-A, and when you go there, and they give you your food, and you want to be polite to them and say, thank you. They, say, they don't say welcome. They say, my, my pleasure. You know, um, I, I thought they were, they were the first institution to ever did do that, and then I was corrected by uh, Bobby, who had who all the time goes to Ritz-Carlton, and uh, that's where she hangs out. And when, whenever she goes there, uh, and you, they do, you say thank you to them, they say, my pleasure. And actually doing some research on that, Dave and Truett Kathy, as they were uh, uh, sharing, well, why is it your, your chicken place, uh, and all your employees say, my pleasure, and they say, because... They experienced that at a Ritz-Carlton. And so when you think about that, is it possible that when we say thank you to Jesus, he's going to say, my pleasure? Now, now personally, I just want to let you know, I don't like to, um, well, sometimes I do, but I don't always like to do what everybody else does. And so as, as I've heard that my pleasure, I thought, I've got to come up with something else. And so what I say a lot of times when, when occasionally, it only happens occasionally, when I do something nice for somebody, and they respond with a thank you, I say, it's my privilege. You know, and I was thinking about that is we think about what God has done for us and think why God has done it for, why he has done it for us. I really do believe biblically you could, you can make a case that he does it because it was his pleasure. Not that it was, it was easy or it wasn't painful, it didn't demand all that he is, but he really did it because it was his pleasure. Another way, you could also say it was, it was his privilege. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that it was, he, we ought to fix our eyes on Jesus because he went to the cross because of the joy set before him. And, and the joy that, set, that was set before him was those who would respond to him in faith. And, and, and that produced in him pleasure. And because he did that, it was his privilege to fulfill the Father's will, but also to fulfill the will of his own heart, that he would rescue people from their sin. And so as we're looking in a, in a, in a passage of Scripture that really is speaking about people that are scattered throughout Asia Minor, and they're really wondering what is happening and what is, what is God doing when his people are being persecuted and, and put under so much suffering uh, he wants them to know that, that no matter what happens, or that they can still be filled with hope. And hope is that confident expectation that, that God has our present and our future in his hands. 
And we can know that God has our good at heart because God is good and he's good, how often? All the time. Now, we might not always find it pleasant, and that's another P word, but it's our privilege and it's our pleasure to really believe that God will provide for his people and we can have hope. And so I'd like you to do, and I invite you to do, is turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. Grab a Bible or some device that will allow you to get to this little book in the New Testament. If you're not sure where it is, you can look in the table of contents, or you can go to Revelation, hang a left, and you'll run into it. And Peter is writing to a people, and he writes in a style that's a little foreign to our, our Western culture. He, he goes from one thing to another, and sometimes we don't see the connection we challenged you that uh, it's good to hide God's word in your heart, to memorize it, to, to meditate on, reflect on it, and, and therefore prepare your minds for action. <laughs> Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And last week, we looked at a section in First Peter, which leads into this passage, and it also relates to a verse we want you to memorize, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by you may grow in respect to salvation. And, and after that, which was a challenge to recognize God's word is here for you to experience the goodness and kindness of God in a great way and in a greater way. But then he jumps off and he, he starts talking, talking almost Bible. It's like, where did this come from? And I want to read this section and then I want to go back and debrief it a little bit. And he says, and coming to him as to a living stone, which have been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders Rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. And you're thinking, well, how did you go from just long for the pure milk of the word, and all of a sudden you, you throw in Zion and, and stones and living stones and doom and, and Old Testament passages? What in the world are you talking about? Well, I don't want to submit to you that he, he goes right after encouraging them, exhorting them to long for the pure milk of word, crave it, desire it, realize that this is your source of hope in life, uh, to broaden our perspective and understanding of what it means to live out the Christian life and who we're living it for. And I've entitled the message, A Spiritual Privilege or a Spiritual Duty. And in many ways, when people think about church, and let's be honest, even those who are committed to be a part of God's family and, and live it out, uh, there are times we wake up in the morning and we wonder, do I really want to come today? And then Al says, you have to because you're the pastor. You know, what if anyway, you know, you, do I really want to be there? Do I really want to get up and just, you know, do it again? You know, I've done it for a long time. And as you think about, is that a duty? Is that an obligation on my part? Is that something I have to because that's my job? Or is it because that's my passion? Well, I want to answer this. Actually, I'm posing the question, but let me just answer in the beginning. Really answer, as we think about the Christian life, as we think about following Jesus, it is, it is both a spiritual privilege 
and a spiritual duty. Uh, there oftentimes, as we, as we follow Jesus from our heart and from all the goodness that we've experienced in this life, we, we are filled with enthusiasm, almost natural enthusiasm or spirit-led enthusiasm that just lifts us up. But if we're really honest, there are sometimes we wake up and that's not the initial feeling that we're feeling, right? We're wondering, well, do, I, do I really want to do what God wants me to do today? Do I really want to be with God's people today? Do I really want to serve others today? Do I really want to, to be obedient in areas where maybe I don't want to be obedient in? And what needs to kick in there, even though it's always a privilege and it's always a pleasure to follow God's plan rather than your own plan, uh, sometimes we have to kick in and say, well, this is, this is my duty. This is my obligation. And just to use some analogies from the, uh, the life of the Apostle Paul, who was filled with passion for the living Christ. This is what he said in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Wait a minute, you're eager, but you just said it was an obligation. Are you eager to do the things that are your duty or that is your job? Well, w- once, you, once you get started, you are, but he needs to realize, I, I don't really have an option. I, I've been bought with a price. God has called me to live out my faith in fullness and faithfulness. Even when he said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And then he goes on, you know, my greatest desire is to leave this planet. Beam me up, Scotty. I mean, beam me up, Jesus, right? I I, want to be in heaven. That's my greatest desire. But then I find it's necessary that God wants me to stay here for a purpose, to be used of him to influence other people's lives. So often you'll see in Scripture, if you're, if you're looking at it in a balanced way, that there is that spiritual privilege, there's that spiritual pleasure, but there's also that obligation, there's that duty, that's there, that compelling that God has called us into his family. We are, we are his soldiers. We are on his team. We are his athletes, and he's the coach, and we, we go to his marching orders. We follow his game plan. Does that make sense? But what I want to do is, is, is look at it from two different perspectives out of this passage. And I think it's all right at times to look at your life and be honest. Have I been, have I been living a lot of my life on understanding it's my pleasure, it's my privilege to follow him and, and, and pursue that? But then also at times, we, we can be honest and say, right now I'm, I'm living under obligation or I'm living under duty or I'm living under responsibility. But let's look at some privileges that ought to motivate us to, to be hopeful in the Christian life that this is worth it. And let's see in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2. And in, I have the, 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 the main text I'm getting the, the points out, in the first few points, and then we're going to look at uh, a couple of them from the text you've, you've turned to. So he, he begins this way, and I, I want to look at a, a number of privileges. And here, here are the four privileges, and then we'll look at them one at a time. We are privileged to know the living Christ. We're privileged to be in union with Christ. We're privileged to be priests of Christ. We're privileged to actually please Christ. Well, let's look at it as we see in the text. So right after he challenges us to long for the pure milk of the word, which is our instruction book to to live out our faith and to to know the one who's come for us, he says this, and coming to him, and who's the him here? 
It, yeah, it's the one you can always say when they, a pastor asks you a question. Who's the him here? It's Jesus. So we're going to talk about who today? We're going to talk about Jesus, okay? And that's what Peter was talking about. He said, and coming to him, Jesus, as to a living stone. Now, there's probably a lot of, uh, or at least a number of ones that you've thought about in terms of giving Jesus a, a name or a nickname or a title or another way to describe him. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our bread of life. Jesus is living water. And you can turn out all the Christmas phrases that relate to Jesus. Jesus is eternal Father, mighty God, Prince of Peace. He, he's all these things. Probably most of the time when we were to use a, a picture, a word picture, and, and Peter, uh, what's his ethnic background? He's Jewish. And Jewish people not only like to speak with their hands, and, but, he, but they also speak, like to speak in, in images, they, we speak a lot of time in propositions or statements. They would speak in images. And so he uses an image here that probably, I would dare say none of you use this week unless you looked at this passage this week. This guy, well, who is Jesus to you? Well, he, he's, he's the living stone. What? He's the living stone? What in the world do you mean by that? Well, we're going to see this is a connection to not only the living stone, but the cornerstone. He, he's the foundation of, of, of life. He's the foundation of my faith. He, he's the one in which everything in my life comes to, comes to a place of understanding what life is all about. A cornerstone, we'll look at it in a, in a, in a moment. A cornerstone was that, that, that key place where they would decide how they're going to build that building, how they were going to set apart whatever they were going to construct. And all the angles would, would come from that cornerstone. And either you got it right or you got it wrong and what came next. And, and what he's saying here is I, I want you to understand that as we think about longing for the pure milk of the word, it's really not longing simply for more information. This is not about are you going to do well in jeopardy if the, if the category is the Bible, all right? This is not about that. What it is is we long for this book. We long to get into this word because this word speaks of who? Jesus. Yeah, you're going to get that answer right if you get, you know, keep doing it. Okay? This book speaks about Jesus. So he says, look, as you come, you're coming to him, and coming to him is Jesus, the living stone, the foundation of your life. The word come there is an interesting word in the original language. It really has the idea, and whenever they wanted to intensify a word in the Greek language, they would add a preposition to it. So it wasn't just come, but was enter in as you come. And so he says, and coming to Jesus in an intimate way, a real way, a life-changing way, you'll discover he, he is that foundation, and it's a living foundation. It's an ongoing the relationship with the living God. And, and, then, he, and, then, he, and then he says about this, as, as you understand it, um, let's be clear, though. Not everybody comes to Jesus. Isn't that not true? And it says right here, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. And so you have God revealing himself, at least in two parts of the Trinity right here, God the Father and God the Son, and said, look it, he is that which is precious, that which is of God's choice in the sight of God the Father. 
The word precious here is, is beyond value. You know, maybe, uh, maybe we've been in certain places where you're, you're thinking you're going to stay the night until they tell you how much it's going to cost to stay there that night. Or, or, or maybe you've been into a particular place and you're looking at things you might want to buy, particularly if you've been in an art gallery and you don't know art at all and you find something you really like and you want to take it home and then you discover the, the price on it. And, and the reality, that price is beyond your ability to pay. This is what it means that Jesus is the precious living stone. Because it's far beyond what we, any of us, could ever pay to produce what only he can give us and provide. And, and really, when, when, when we understand the privilege of knowing the living Christ, who is the living stone, it, it doesn't get any better than that. Many of us, well, it, really, all of us who live in the United States have so many privileges that we take for granted that you're not going to experience around the world. And no matter which side you were on in the whole political debate, it, you could go to certain places in the, in the country and they would laugh at us. You're complaining about the ability to at least try to pick who might be leading in your country. We never get that option. We get whatever is imposed upon us. And what we're understanding here is there is no greater privilege than knowing the living stone, knowing Jesus Christ. There are many passages we could turn to, but just think about it. In Matthew chapter 11, that familiar passage, come, same kind of word here, come, come enter into a relationship, not just come physically. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, what, rest. So in a world in which, which we can get tired real, real quick about all that's happening or not happening in our lives, we have a privilege. We have a privilege to know Jesus. We have a privilege to know the Christ, the promised one. We have the privilege of coming into him in an intimate, personal relationship, and he gives us rest. Jesus is the, the bread of life. And right after that, and I think it's John chapter 6, 37, he says this, Come to me, I, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me and believes, he'll never hunger again. Now, we might hunger physically, but we won't hunger spiritually when we go to him as the bread of life. So do we, have spirit, do, do we understand that knowing, knowing what it means to, to walk with God, it's, it's a privilege and the privilege is that we can know, we can know the living Christ. But, but then he goes on in verse 5 and he says something strange again. You also as living stones. Now, just like I said, you probably haven't described Jesus this week as a living stone. Um, there is other places, and I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that Jesus is called the rock, okay, uh, much better than the rock that you see on the film. Okay, he, he is the rock, the rock, the, the foundation of life. Uh, you probably haven't referred to yourself this week as, as a living stone. What, what are you? I'm a stone. Well, wh what's the point here? Well, there's some kind of relationship to the living stone, and, and we are living stones, right? And, and so in a simple way, you need to understand that we, we have a privilege to be in union with Christ. Uh, and there might be other words you better use. We could, we're privileged to be identified with Christ. 
you know, think about um, sometimes have you ever been around people who, um, who, who try to impress you because they drop some names? Have you ever been around that? You know, why do they drop names? And maybe they're not dropping names to get you impressed because they want to impress you, but maybe it just comes out and, and you are impressed because they know certain people. You know, there might be, I don't know if you know this, but I grew up and I, and I know someone, uh, I played baseball with someone who, who made the major leagues, not only made the major leagues, we played in the World Series and uh, made multiple all-star games. And for a while, he was the highest paid shortstop in all of uh, the, uh, MLB, Major League Baseball. Now, you're probably wondering, well, did, did, uh, were you as, were, probably could, since you know him personally, you were a really good baseball player too. And the answer is no. Okay, but anyway, I, I knew him. But I could, it, it could sound like I'm impressive because I played baseball with somebody who was really good. Well, it didn't really impact my game, but he was really good. And maybe you could talk in other ways. You know, I could, I could tell you there's some people I know really well personally that, that lead mega churches. I mean, multiple thousands of, church, uh, of people attend their church. And, you know, that, that sounds pretty impressive. And then you ask me, well, uh, do you preach as well as they do? And I have to say, well, because I know them, the answer is, I wish I did, but no, okay? And sometimes we, we, we will drop names for whatever reason and, and we'll think, well, maybe, maybe I'll get so identified with them they'll be impressed with me. Now, on a human level, you know, sometimes that can or cannot happen. But this thing about this, who are we? We are people that are identified with Jesus Christ. He is the living stone, and he describes us as living stones. What does it mean to be a Christian? We are a Christian. We, we are little Christ as he is the Christ. Uh, when we enter into a relationship with God's church, uh, it says that we can become a part of the body of who? Christ. And so we need to recognize as we go through life and sometimes we look at our lives and we don't look at our lives as that significant or that important or that um, eternal in terms of its impact on other people's lives. But we need to recognize that, that we are part of God's program. We, we, are, we are friends with the the King of kings and Lord of lords. In John 15, that's what he said to his disciples who were not very impressive to the people of that day. He says, you know, I don't, I don't any longer call you servants or slaves. I now call you my friends. You don't think that identity changed how they saw themselves completely? And throughout the New Testament, that's what God wants us to realize. We have the privilege of being in union with Christ that we are identified with him. And when we are overwhelmed with what we're doing or not doing, or underwhelmed by what we're doing or not doing, we need to recognize that our identity is not in who we are, but who he is, and we're part of his family. Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And so as we think about what it means to be privileged, it's a privilege just to know Christ. It's a privilege to be in union with Christ. He, we identify with him, but he identifies with us. We are eternally important in his eyes. 
But then he goes on again, and it's almost lesson in the Old Testament to try to describe why they ought to long to be in the Word of God so they might understand more fully who this, who this person they're following and believing in, Jesus, and what that means to our lives. Uh, we get to know the living stone. We get to know the, the privilege of knowing the living Christ. We get to be in union with Christ. And then he goes on and he says this, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, I guess we're looking at a passage, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't really think in these terms very often. Uh, have you thought recently that not only are you a person, but you're part of a house? Uh, have you thought this week that not only do you go to church and maybe you have some things that you would identify as how you serve Christ and do things for Christ, but have you ever thought about yourself that you are a priest? Now, sometimes because of the vocational profession, profession I'm in, and I've, <laughs> I've said this numerous times here, but, you know, I get paid for good, you're all good for nothing, right? Okay, is that, you know, as, as a professional Christian, you know, I get, I get to do uh, for money what I would do for free, all right? And hopefully that's going to happen down the road a little bit, okay? But as you think about that, is that the Bible talks about us in a way that often we will not have people say about us. I've had people, when they find out that I work at a church, or then they start, they don't always call me pastor. Sometimes they'll call me priest, okay? And I say, well, no, 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 I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor or I'm a minister, whatever we want to call. But reality, this is a biblical label you could put on yourself today, that you are a priest. In some places, they call that the priesthood of believers, what does that mean? Well, again, in, in simplest terms, that, that sounds pretty important. So you're pretty what? You're pretty important if you know Jesus. You have a high calling. You are a priest. A prophet spoke for God to the people. A priest represented people to God. And, and that's what we are called to do is, is to, to go to him and present ourselves and other people to God. And there were certain roles that priests had. And in that particular day, God, as he began his chosen people Israel in Exodus, and we won't go through the whole Exodus series again, but he had really called them to be a kingdom of priests. But they fell into sin, and he only picked one tribe to be a priest, and so it was select few about that. And as they came into the presence of God, they needed to come into the presence of God in a holy way. And, and there, was, there was a high priest that could go into the presence of God, the most personal presence of God, once a year called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was this, there was this thick curtain that prevented for people to come in not prepared and not recognized as the one who was supposed to come in into the presence of God. But when, when Jesus went to the cross, and if you look at the gospel story, the, the You'll see afterwards that what happened when Jesus rose from the dead, God was, I mean, when he died, is that that curtain was broken, was torn from the top to the bottom. When God said, he said, look, at I'm separating, I'm doing away with that separation between you and me where, where I'll have someone else represent you before me. You can come directly into my presence. And as being priests of God, we have immediate access to God. Sometimes people will we'll come to me and, and invite me to pray for them. And, and I love to pray with people. But sometimes I'll go a little bit further and say, I, I just want you to understand, my prayers don't get any quicker to heaven than yours. Uh, 
that my, my prayers don't count more than yours. You can go directly into the access of God. And God wants to invite us to have other people pray, but the pastor's prayers are not any more special than your prayers. You are part of the priesthood of God. All of us make up that spiritual house. In the Old Testament, that spiritual house had a name to it. It started with the letter T. It was a, it was a temple. And, and a temple was a place in which it represented the presence of God. Do, do you know that, that the Bible calls us as temples? Our, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are to glorify God in our bodies. And so as he, as he talks about as being priests, and this week you need to identify yourself to at least one person as a priest, okay? Hello, my name is, and I'm a priest, okay? It, it, what I am is I am a person who can go directly into the presence of God and talk with him. I'm going to run out of time if I don't go a little bit faster. But let me, let me just, what, what are some of the action items related to be a priest? In 1 first, uh, first John 2.27, we have the ability to spend time with God. And that's part of what I was saying with you as far as at that time, only the high priest could go into the presence of God. 1 John 2.27 says this, As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Which simply says this, in the Old Testament, there was a special anointing for a person to become a priest. You have that same anointing. And that anointing means you have now been set apart that you can go into the presence of God. And because the Spirit of God will live within you, you can even understand God's truth and be able to teach it to others. You're able to spend time with God. You're also able to serve Christ. Titus 2.14 says this, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. The, the priests in the Old Testament were able to do certain service to God that was, that was restricted just for them. And being a priest or the priesthood of believers, the privilege is that we have not only the ability to spend time with God, we have the ability to serve God. And sometimes, sometimes we, we step back from doing what God can do through our lives for his sake and for his glory because we think somehow that we're not good enough or we don't have enough training or we don't have the background or people might not appreciate what we would do because they don't know our past or what we're struggling in the present. And God is saying, look at I have set you apart to be zealous for good deeds, to serve others. And particularly, we're called not only as God's priest to be in his presence, but to spend time with him, to serve him, but also to speak for him. Romans 15, 15, 16 says this, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God. And we need to realize when we look at anybody in the Old Testament or New Testament and wonder, well, I can't do what they did. We need to realize the only way they did what they did is because they had the grace of God upon them. And God's grace is upon any of his children. We're saved by grace and we're empowered by grace. And then he says in verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentile, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
And that's just flowery language to simply say this. Paul saw as his life, look at, because of the grace of God, I am now operating as a priest. And as a priest, I had the privilege of representing people to God. I can speak to other people about the message of Jesus. What, what saves people are not eloquent preachers on a platform. What saves people is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have the privilege of sharing that with others. So you understand the privilege we have? We have the privilege of, of, of knowing Christ. We have the privilege of being in union or identify with Christ. We have the privilege to be a priest for Christ. And then fourthly, uh, we, we have the privilege of actually pleasing Christ. You know, I think we all long at times that, that, that someone would say thank you to us. And the way we have people say thank you to us because we've done something that we did for them that pleased them and they're returning grateful thoughts back to us. Now, there are some people in our lives that say, well, what could I do for them? They got everything. Or they, they're, they've, they're, there's nothing I, I can do for them. If that be true of anybody you know, which is actually not true because nobody, everybody likes to, to be uh, looked at as people others can help and aid or assist or be alongside, is that we can do things that can actually please the living Christ, the living God. You know, look what he says here. He says, uh, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A spiritual sacrifice? Again, we're using language that probably we don't use very often when we talk about walking with God. How many of this we gave up a spiritual sacrifice? You think, I'm not sure what a spiritual sacrifice is, right? What in the world is that? And not only a spiritual sacrifice, but one that's acceptable to God. And what is acceptable to God is pleasing to God. It, whenever we walk by faith, that pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and he rewarder of those who seek him. This pleases God. But what are a couple things real quickly that, that we can offer up to God that's straight out of Scripture? We're looking at a, a passage in Hebrews. You can look it up on your own later on. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and verse 16. How do we offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God? Part of what even what we do here, by singing praises to God. Now, most of the time, how we evaluate our singing praises to God is how well do I, how do I sound, right? Do I, am, I, am I bothering the person next to me, right? Well, why are you worried about what other people think or feel about your singing? We sing to an audience of one, right? And that one is Jesus, okay, you can say God, but Jesus is what I was looking for, right? We do it for Jesus, right? So we, and you know what pleases Jesus? is not the quality of our voice, but the quality of our heart expression to him in terms of praise. Isn't that true? Listen what he, he says in, in Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Now, some of you might be people who sing in the shower or sing in the car or whatever it might be and 
Some of you might be more normal like me. You know, I'm not singing in the shower. I'm getting in the shower to get out of the shower. Get there and get out, all right? And I don't sing in the car. I mean, I might listen to other people sing. But, but let's be honest. God wants us to live up to him praises. And throughout the week, it's not about just simply what we do on Sunday, but you know what? I probably sing more enthusiastically on Sunday than any other time in the week. And that's one of the reasons we gather together because in the company of God's people, it produces us a heart to sing with him. Isn't that true? And I sound a lot better when I'm kind of mimicking the rest of you, right? God wants us to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And this is, this is doable, isn't it? We can sing praise to God. And I would invite you to do it at home and in your heart and out loud. Just don't do it when people think you might be just weird, all right? But anyway, but sing praises to God, right? That's one way we can offer up sacrifices to God. And then Hebrews 13, 16 says this, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for such sacrifices God is pleased. So how, do we, how are we privileged to please God by singing praise to God and by doing good and sharing for Christ. Now sharing there is really not, again, not the sharing the gospel here, but, but sharing the time and talent and treasure we have. When, when we faithfully give to the ministry of Christ locally and globally, that pleases Christ. When we share our time by investing our time in other people, to lift them up and encourage them, that pleases Christ. When we look at ways that we can be, do good by helping others, we, we share our lives because Christ has shared his life with us. And of course, the opposite is, you know, we can not share, we can simply be selfish, another S word. And so God has called his people directly. This is a privilege. It's a privilege to know Christ. It's a privilege to be identified with Christ. It's a privilege to be lifted up and exalted position of being a priest for Christ. It is a privilege to look for ways to please Christ. But where's the duty? Well, I don't really have time to explain it, but let me just state it with a little explanation. I put in your outline this. Our duty is, our duty is to believe and our duty is to not disbelieve. You think, well, that's almost too simplistic. Well, let's look at it. What does that mean, a duty to believe? He says in verse um, 6, For this is continued in, contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. Who's that cho- choice stone? Jesus. Jesus. You guys are getting it right. A precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, and who is this precious value? Jesus. Then is for you who believe, and so he just says, look, at this is, this is your game plan. It begins here, is believe. This is, this is your side of the, the gospel story. Not trying to determine God's role and our role in terms of the sovereign God, the free will of man, but we know within God's program, God's sacrifice through his son Jesus was sufficient on the cross. When Jesus said, on the cross, it is finished, that means there was nothing more to do from God's part, right? It was done. But the challenge for us is now we have a duty to believe. 
And whoever God draws to himself, every single one of them chooses to believe. And when that happens, (laughs) they're not disappointed. That's an interesting word, disappointment means simply there is no looking back with regrets. And I would say this, if any of you regret knowing Jesus, then, then I would say then give it up. Don't follow him anymore. But a person who truly believes in Jesus, you don't ever want to go back from that. There is no disappointment there. Doesn't mean it was easy. Doesn't mean there weren't challenges. But it's saying, look at there is nothing, there is nothing left to be given when you come to know Jesus in a full and complete way. But then he goes on and says the other side of the story in verse 7. For those who disbelieve, and that's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? Not only say well, that person didn't believe or does not believe. He puts it as a, as a one-word statement, disbelieve. For those who disbelieve, the stone which is the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a, choice of, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now, that's, again, language that's kind of unusual to us. And I was thinking, what do you mean a stone? What do you mean a stumbling stone and a rock of offense? And basically, he's using an analogy of here of, of people building something. And it could have been the picture of the building of the temple, of Solomon's temple, or other great edifices they knew. And, you know, in building spots, a lot of time, you know, people, what, what, what do they put on their heads? Baseball caps? Hard hats, right? You know, and the reason they put on hard hats is they want to protect their their head. And there might be other things they put on, but they're, they're trying to make sure if OSHA comes alongside that you're, you're doing the right things and people aren't going to get hurt in a foolish way. And really, the idea here, as far as I understand, is that there's a stumbling block at the place where they're building and, and you could trip over it. And then when you trip over it, something then could fall upon you and that rock could crush you. And obviously he was talking about the Jewish people that day who had, who had seen Jesus and they stumbled over him, did not believe. And this thing that they stumbled over, if they did not stop disbelieving, this is the stone that would crush them. And then he puts a commentary on this that applies to anyone. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. And the idea here is the appointment is that for those who do not follow the duty to believe by disbelieving, it is going to be for their destruction. And whether you want to look at the many times Jesus spoke about that place of judgment, hell, and the Gospels, or when I look at particular passages like in Luke 16 where the man was being tormented in Hades or you look at Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15 there's going to come a time of reckoning that those who chose to disbelieve their one duty to either believe or not disbelieve they will face the judgment of God for eternity, which will be for their doom. So what's the point this morning? Are we living according to the privileges that God has given us? 
We have the privilege of knowing him, coming to him and, and building on that relationship with him in an intimate way to experience his rest and his provision. We, 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 have, the, we have the privilege of, of being identified with Christ when at times we feel lost. So our identification, who we are, is we're Christ followers. We are placed in an exalted position to, to be priests in his program, to spend time with him. to recognize that he has a place for us to serve him and to speak for him. We have the privilege of pleasing him. Can you imagine? We can actually please God by singing praises to his name because he's worthy, by sharing our time, talent, treasures, by investing in his program. And the duty, the duty to believe and not disbelieve it, when, when we don't believe, we, we don't follow him, do we? We're not obedient. We're not faithful. So let's just be honest with us. Are we, are we taking advantage of the spiritual privileges and are we gladly following the opportunity to believe and not disbelieve? Let's pray together. Father, Peter sometimes writes in a way that it's foreign to our way of thinking, but it really speaks to our heart. Father, there is no greater privilege than coming to know Jesus. And for some online or in our worship center today, they haven't made that step. They're still on the outside looking in. And the only way to, to come into relation with God is to surrender. To pray a prayer that you really mean, dear Lord Jesus, come in, into my life, forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you with all of my heart. And there are other times, Father, once we make that commitment, then we got to decide, am I living the privileged life by recognizing all the things we can be and do because of what you've done for us? Help us to show our faith by taking advantage of the privileges and living for you. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.